rapture in that blessed home on high when we redeemed again we how we'll sing that heavenly anthem in that city in the sky when we redeemed again Watch like snow, angry from sea. Oh 
For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. First Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, verses 16 through 18. That sort of is the heart, the main scripture about the rapture of the church. The Lord descending from heaven with a shout. He'll probably say, come up hither. He'll probably be speaking good old King James. And um, we'll all instantly changed and we'll meet him there'll be a big cloud of people rising and we'll meet him in the air and so shall we ever be with the lord wherefore comfort one another with these words so hello uh brother dave hello shalom and maranatha john shalom and maranatha to you and we have brother willie hello brother willie uh ditto shalom and maranatha Ditto. Okay. That's the first time, all those years, that's the first time I heard that. Well, that means just like the same, right? Yeah. Yeah. Ditto. I haven't heard that word in a long time. I know. Well, you just heard it. See, I don't know where it came from, but there it is. Ditto. (laughs) Ditto. Ditto. All right. Well, um, Willie, how about reading uh, 1 Corinthians 15? Now, before Willie reads it, 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 there, um, they're, it's the same topic. It's all about uh, the coming of the Lord, the rapture of the church. And the, the two sections give you a little different view of it. So you put them together and you get a, a bigger picture. Go ahead, um, Willie. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen. Amen. Your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So, uh, First Thessalonians chapter 4 ends with an exhortation about comforting one another about the loss of a loved one, comfort one another that uh, when the Lord returns, there'll be a reuniting. And then First Thessalonians, excuse me, First Corinthians chapter 15 ends with an encouragement to uh, be faithful and work for the Lord. And it's all in connection with the uh, rapture, the Lord coming for us and being instantly changed. So there's two nice, when you, when you read one, it's... Um, Exhortation and the other is comfort. Okay, Brother Dave. Yes, John. Titus. Sure. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing 
of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Okay. And there's a, there's an admonition. So we have an admonition, we have exhortation, we have comfort, all connected with the uh, rapture of the church. That's pretty nice, Dave. Amen, John. So we can read that and like isolate it and just kind of let it slip by. But when you merge them together and look at them, there you've got nice, nice, some nice, um, what would you call it? Te- a teaching, I guess you could call it, from the Lord. When you put all three together and see how they end, and uh, it gets through, it's three views of the same event. So, um, Willie, uh, give us an example or two how things have gone with you this week, witnessing. Sure, you know, John, you ever hear of banana evangelism? No. I just told you, just, you just heard it for the first time. That means if you go to the supermarket and you're picking up bananas to bring home, the guy standing there wants to hear about Jesus. So generally speaking, that's banana evangelism, right? You don't want to waste any time. Uh, I had gone to pick something up, I guess, at the beginning of the week at a supermarket, and I got to, there was a guy there in the aisle, his name happened to be Dermot, not McDermott, but Dermot, very Irish. And I got to share the gospel with him, and, uh, you know, you just uh, strike up a small conversation, and you say, are you, do you happen to be a Christian? Are you a Christian? He says, yes. Um, and then uh, at the same uh, place, I witnessed to a guy online. It's funny. I'm saying, how am I going to get to witness this guy? I'm thinking he's he's about six foot six, standing right in front of me. Out of the blue, there's a rack of boxes. Nobody touched them. They all fell down. You understand, John? Like I'm at the cashier. The whole rack fell down, all on the floor. So it was just a, a way to start a conversation. I got to witness to him. His name was Scott. And then another guy, another guy, a cashier at a paint store. I asked him if he was a Christian, and he said, yes. And I said, well, how do you know? He says, well, I was confirmed. I said, well, I believe when I was confirmed, I don't think I was a Christian. So uh, if you had to share the gospel briefly with him. And uh, then I got to, uh, it's, it's kind of sad. There's a husband and wife. They live in an amazingly beautiful house right on the water. I think it's in South Lindenhurst or South Copenhagen, something like that. And uh, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. But the woman's in a wheelchair. She can't really enjoy it. She's, they're both elderly, and uh, I had shared the gospel with him once before, and then I got to share with the wife. Um, he says, yeah, yeah, I remember we talked about this. We talked about this. And uh, then I um, got to speak to a husband and wife and a son. He, was, um, he said he had no spiritual beliefs, but I think by the time we were done, uh, hopefully he, he was encouraged. So it was a good week, John. Uh, then I was... Uh, I met another cashier at the hardware store. His name was Darius. How many Dariuses do you know, John? Just the one in the Bible. The Bible. Yeah, yeah. With Daniel. I've met two in my life. Yeah, I've met two of them. Uh, So he knew it was a Bible name, and I got to share the gospel with him. Uh, And then just random other people. uh, All right. Yeah, just uh, wherever you go, it's a good opportunity. The sin is everywhere. that. Right. I've noticed that. You know, maybe there would be an excuse if you were living in North Alaska and there was nobody within 50 miles of where you lived. Then 
you know, if you ask that you share the gospel with anybody, they go, no, nobody really passed by today. But, you know, uh, on Long Island, I think, how many people per square mile, John? Hundreds, if not a thousand, right? Well, I or think more? there's about, well, I don't know anymore, but if you add uh, Brooklyn and uh, Queens and Nassau and Suffolk, you got a pretty good, you got more people there than a lot of states. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Brooklyn especially. So uh, there's plenty of uh, opportunity. I you don't prob- think every opportunity. You probably have Sometimes between I- eight, eight and nine million people, ten million people living there. Yeah. Sometimes I wish I would take every opportunity, but uh, I missed one opportunity. I was on my way to church and I had to pick somebody up. But uh, there's always opportunity, John. There's always okay. opportunity. Even just a simple question: you say to a guy, you say, "Young man, hello, what's your name? I'm Willie. Glad to meet you. Uh, are you a Christian?" How hard is that? You're not going to be a, a rocket scientist to do that. It's a good way to start a conversation. And if they say yes, you say, well, how do you know? Well, speaking about talk. conversations, uh, Dave, how many conversations do we have today? Quite a few, John. Quite a few. And at any time, did I have a trick answer when you called? Um, today, I don't think you did. No, 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 I purposely have not. Yeah, you were a little dry today. Well, it's I'm starting to give up because you just don't have a sense of humor. No, just John, you, you are very funny. Trust me, you're very funny, and you're humorous and uh, spontaneous. What do you want me to tell you? Uh, well, a little Today, more. I want you to. I want you to say a little more. Keep it going. <laughs> now, no, you're, you're doing good, John. You're a funny guy. Okay. All right. So now when you call, do you want me to have some spontaneous answer or do you just want me to say hello, Dave? No, no. I, th- I think you should come up with at least something. Uh, try to be funny. That would be good. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. Um, so how are you doing now? What's going on with the Prophecy Packet? Oh, everything's going fine, John. Uh, another busy week. Um, what I'd like to do, we spoke today about the Prophecy Pack. And I noticed you did an update, which is very exciting. I want to encourage everybody to go to John's blog. You'll see a little photograph of a uh, a gentleman uh, with a motorcycle with boxes on the back. And then you click it on, you can go through the, uh, what's been going on. Well, let's, I'll be, uh, how can we say, conservative. That's about 1% of what's been going on through the years. Uh, The pictures you see, um, it's absolutely amazing. We get pictures all the time. John has an archive of all the pictures. We have pictures from Jerusalem, South Africa, uh, Malawi, uh, Nigeria, Kenya. Um, not too many from Europe, mostly from Africa. I think possibly some from pa- lots from Pakistan. But uh, John will p- post them occasionally. But uh, go through what's going on on the uh, the website, and you'll be greatly blessed. Um, we're not just uh, how can we say talking about the end times. Uh, the Lord is using our little ministry to, uh, how can we say, uh, implement his plan. So I encourage everybody to go to the uh, the website and, uh, like I said, click on that little guy with the uh, the motorcycle. You'll see his uh, motorcycle is piled up. He has, I think, a thumbs up. And you go through some of the testimonies. And uh, that's just a partial picture of what's going on. So uh, we're really that, blessed. That, that, guy in the mot- thank- that, that guy in the motorcycle yeah, is Pastor Zephaniah. Yes, it's Zephaniah, exactly, exactly. And I just want to specifically thank Brother Greg and Brother Vince, because uh, 
basically without Brother Vince and Brother Greg, you wouldn't be seeing those pictures. It's that simple. That's how much they help us with printing and shipping. So uh, it's been a real blessing, John. Oh, amen. Oh, yeah, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, well, they both really want to thank them for everything that they've done. Because really, we wouldn't be be able to get off the ground if it wasn't for them. Very simple, very simple. And we want to encourage people, if you look at the uh, the prophecy pack and you get excited about um, you know what you see, we could use some help with shipping and printing. Uh, if you can help us, it would be greatly appreciated. Oh, I'm just reading something here in the chat room from Wild Olive. Praise report, our adopted children's older brother arrived from Lithuania last week. He had been in a lot of bad things, was very brokenhearted, and had the privilege of having him accept Jesus as a savior through reading the brokenhearted brochure. Wow, we please pray for him as a baby Christian needs much prayer support. Wow. That is wonderful. In fact, let's have prayer right now. Father, um, we bring before you this man that just this week uh, came to you through reading the brokenhearted brochure. I mean, it's wow. Because I know it's happening. I'm getting feedback of it happening throughout the world, but just personal like this is so exciting. We pray for him, Lord, uh, that you'll do a great work in his heart. A great work. He that has done a work, a work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Lord, all the broken parts heal. All the damaged parts, Lord. Rejection, loneliness, Lord. Shame, fear. Deliver him of it, Lord. Heal his heart completely of it, Lord. In Jesus' name I ask. Thank you for it, Lord. And thank you for um, the sister there giving him the brochure and all. I mean, wow, we... What a wonderful way to start the show. So thank you, Lord. Thank you. Bless him. Oh, and I pray that you would uh, work in him so his salvation is sure, Lord. That he'll understand the cross and repentance and and assurance of eternal life through you. So I thank you now. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That was nice to read in the chat room, huh, Willie? And, you know, you're planting a lot of seeds, and uh, very rarely do you get, you know, you rarely don't see the effects. It's funny, this this woman specifically came up to me in church uh, today, and uh, she shared with me, she said, seven years ago, you shared something from the Word. And she says, I never forgot that. And you never know, you know, uh, people don't forget, they're here. My yeah. job is to, yeah. one plants, another waters, God adds the increase. Amen, amen, amen. All right, it was kind of a light week for me. Um, Pastor uh, Jamil had a uh, death in the family, his father-in-law, who lived quite a while, uh, quite a ways away, and so he was tied up there. But he he did come back, and last weekend I preached um, somewhere in Pakistan with him. But the rest of the week he went back then to um, to his uh, wife's family there, and he's he's just coming home. He's act- in fact, he said he's going to try and come to the show tonight uh, but he just came back home and then Pastor Zephaniah is in college in Uganda and so things have been kind of quiet with him and I haven't really heard from um, Pastor David in India or Bishop Reinhardt in India oh uh, Pastor Abel in Nigeria has been very very busy 
I posted something on Facebook by him. Um, he, he led a, a, a like a, a young teenage Muslim to the Lord, and apparently his father is an imam, and uh, he threw him out of the house. It completely broke with him. So he's kind of living the streets, in the streets, and Pastor Rebel is trying to help him as much as he can. So I posted a picture of the kid, and then uh, he uh, he preached in a church today the broken-hearted message, and I would say about a dozen it was about a dozen people came to the Lord, and there's a, a picture I should have counted them, but there's a picture there of people standing, and um, they they came to the Lord under the broken-hearted message. So if you see the picture, it's on the blog and on my on Facebook. There, those people. I I didn't really say it, but those people that are um, standing there, they have. Uh, I think he did in his letter. He said it. So that was nice. There was like a dozen, and the pastor, when he saw the power of the message, he wanted. Um, I, it's you know I think it's five thousand brochures. And then uh, he wanted a bunch of, um, of the book, When Jesus Set You Free. So with his nice little ministry working there in Nigeria now. So that was, uh, I was good interacting with Pastor uh, Abel. Now, I did work this week on switching over Monday, tomorrow. Everything is go. Um, we got the final little glitches out of it. And... Um, Pastor, not Pastor, but Nate will be coming over tomorrow with me um, just to get through the first night and if there's any problems. I'm going on to Facebook, but I will have the um, call-in number for here, which is the number, um, the, the old number will not work anymore. The old website will not work. If you do go to it by any chance, you'll get a rerun. But uh, the number will be 717-409-5553. That's the conference room where I am now. There is a, uh, (coughs) if you call in, excuse me, if you come in through the website, there's a chat room. Um, In Facebook, there is a chat. I keep on saying Facebook. Excuse me here. (coughs) In um, YouTube, there is a chat room. So there are kind of two ways to keep it going probably it's better through um youtube you know youtube has a chat and then uh once i'm settled in uh youtube i want to just do a lot of things we want to have a uh, prayer meeting for healing the brokenhearted once a week uh i can have meetings earlier in the day that might open it up for um, pakistan and uh in like Africa to join, India to join. Um, then once I get that all settled, I want to work on the webinars where we could have live meetings taking place in Pakistan with Pastor Jamil translating or in Africa with uh, Pastor Zephaniah translating in Swahili. Um, you can participate like I'd be preaching and then Pastor Zephaniah, Pastor Jamil would be um, translating, and also we're talking. I'm talking to um, Pastor uh, Bishop Reinhardt about the same thing. He wants to get a large pastors' meeting in India 
<clears throat> and uh, do teaching, like on healing the brokenhearted. So I have a feeling now that once we've we've kind of gone to another level now, and I think this is I'm just expecting exciting things as we go to YouTube. Um, I can do uh, teachings on it, put PowerPoint presentations, use PowerPoint presentations. So uh, when I'm teaching, I can post the scriptures, I can post pictures, articles, video, uh, things like that. So I think it's just going to enhance. It will remain in iTunes. People have contacted me about that, and they only they can listen while they're driving their car or um, in the morning when they're getting up, they listen. So it will be on um, on iTunes. Uh, Nate has a way of uh, just stripping the voice out of the uh, of the YouTube presentation. The only problem is I may be sort of talking about something that you can't see, um, but I have to keep that in mind to be a little bit more descriptive for the people that are listening. Like I said, I'm really excited about this. I think it's going to take us to a new level and. When we advertise it on the blog, on the uh, Facebook, in YouTube, like that, uh, other other ways, um, I think it's just going to really uh, take us to a new level. Dave, any comment about this? John, I yeah. lost you. Sorry. Yeah, Dave, any comment about? Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm sorry, I lost you. I'm oh, mis- disconnected. Oh, okay, Willie, were you able to hear me? No, I didn't. What is going? What is going on? Was I talking to my? Wait, uh, Rebecca's in here. Rebecca, did you hear me? I sure did. Okay, all right. Uh, <laughs> uh, the question is: the phone number that I called in on tonight, that I'm in the chat room with tonight, will that be working tomorrow? Yes. All right. That's a Glad fail. That. That's a fail safe. If any, if there's, if there's any problem and people cannot get in through YouTube, you can call this number, 717-409-5553. I will be posting the link for YouTube tomorrow on my blog and on Facebook. And I should have had it ready now, but I don't. <laughs> That's part of why I need Nate here. So I start breaking down with uh, websites, blogs, telephone numbers, Facebook, YouTube, all the different uh, codes. I mean, it, it starts to like blah, 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 blah with me. You know, I'm from the old school. And uh, when my youngest boy was still living with us, if I got a piece of technical equipment, I'd say, his name was Ben, I'd say, here, Ben. And he might be... <laughs> 11 years old or something and I'd say uh, I didn't know that YouTube uh, needs uh, a thousand subscribers for chat that didn't come up someone just said YouTube needs a thousand subscribers for chat Um, we were we were fooling around with it and it was working but I don't know so if you want to chat it may come down to calling in this number till we get a thousand subscribers. That's what Dave Powers says, but I don't know if that's true or not. So if it is true, then you're going to have to call into this uh, number if you want to chat. 
Uh, no, you won't have. You will have to come in. I take that back. If you want to come into the chat room, I will put it here in the uh, in the chat room right now. Because you have to come in through Uber Conference website. See, now that's how this stuff gets a little complicated. So you come in through uberconference.com backslash MCT911, and that'll take you into the show. But, of course, you'll need to be hooked up online. You'll have to have a uh, at least a headset. You don't need a microphone, but you'll have to have a headset, and that'll take you right into the chat room, and I can watch the chat room just like I'm watching here. So it is a nice feature here. Um, so we do have a, I do have a chat room. And I can open it up, and you can uh, you can uh, then you know continue your friendship and chat. So hopefully we'll reach a thousand viewers on YouTube real quickly, and uh, we can have a chat room if that's the case. I don't know for sure. I'm only going by what Dave said. Um, what else? Well, yeah, I do plan on maybe doing news updates. Um, I plan to be very very active on YouTube now. I have a very nice, in my opinion, a very nice background. Um, I live in Amish country here in Pennsylvania. Well, not a, not big Amish country. Kind of, there's Amish around me, and uh, they made some real nice bookcases and tables. So in the background behind me, I have Amish uh, furniture, tables, and bookcases, computer stand. Um, and I put some nice things. I have some nice, it has a kind of a Hebrew flavor on it. I have the Ark of the Covenant and shofar and all that. So I think it looks real nice. The, the background will look nice. The only thing I have left is to my right, I have a very large window. In fact, I measured it. Uh, it's almost, it's four feet by four feet. And uh, John Holman works part-time at uh, Home Depot. So I called him today, and he got um, uh, shades for darkening. And uh, he had them cut to my figures. So I'm going to get them tomorrow and put them up. Now, during the day, if I don't have that uh, shade up, I'm two-tone. On my right side, I am (laughs) washed out white. And then the other side, I kind of look normal because that bright light just washes me out, washes me out, and my my shirt and all that. So hopefully, this uh, shade is going to cut that down. And then Nate had me get a uh, special lighting that can smooth everything out. So uh, we should be good to go. Um, like I said, I'm excited about this, especially with being able to have prayer once a week. We'll have a seminar. We'll put a seminar on, or I, I don't know if you call it a seminar. I don't know what you, well, just for lack of a better word, I'll say seminar. We'll advertise it. People can call in, and I'll speak for about 45 minutes or so, half hour, 45 minutes, and then pray uh, a general prayer, and then open it up for people to um, email me if they feel they need more prayer. Um you know, more specific prayer, and then we can have the prayer team uh, set a a schedule up. We can have the prayer team and pray over them. So like I said, there's many avenues with this. Um, 
earlier in the morning, I think about nine o'clock in the morning, nine to 10 will be a real good time for uh, Pastor Zephaniah and uh, Pastor Jamil and all their people. So we could have prayer time in the morning like that. Uh, like So it's, it's sort of endless, the things we're going to be able to do. So it'll start Monday. Uh, any comment now, Dave? Very good, John. Very high tech. Um, now, do you need a makeup artist, or are you going to be looking good, you think? Uh, Dave, I would kid with you, but people would think I'm a vain and arrogant, so I, I can't do it. Okay. <laughs> okay? <laughs> you know, I told you I, I had to ease up on you because I got emails from people saying I was mean to that. Seriously, they were calling you that nice man. And I was <laughs> very mean to you. John, what? Just a comment. Between Dave and I, there's very little difference between Dave and I when we have a good hair day and a bad hair day. They're really just about the same, John? Yes. Is that true? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I think he might have a little more hair than you. Well, is that in the singular? <laughs> you can count them now. <laughs> He might have twice as many as you, and that would be a hundred, you know. Just about, just about. But that's okay. Very little pressure for us. <laughs> you remember uh, a time back you called, and I thought that you were Dave, and I answered the phone with one of my jokey ways, and you were you were really laughing. <laughs> I said, "What happened?" I said, "Dave, you know." Well, and then I realized it was you. I know. Well, he's been inoculated, John. He's. Uh, I don't know what's the matter with Dave. I really don't. At least his wife laughs. I hear her laughing in the background. I hear Diane laughing well, the in the background. The Bible says a, a merry heart does good like a medicine. Right? Amen? Yes. Yes. Okay. So we're expecting big things now as we move um, into uh, this new new realm here. And, you know, the finances and the ministry has changed, so I, I have to look at every way to... Uh, save funds until the Lord should open up the windows of heaven. So, let's see. Um, I'm just going to take a quick look in the chat room here. Uh, see if there's any comments. No. So, again, the fail-safe number is this number here. 717-409-5553. And um, I will be posting. I'll probably post a couple times tomorrow on Facebook and on the on the blog about what you need to do to come into Facebook. And, oh, there will be archives on the Facebook, and there will be archives on my website for the sound. So now we have all sorts of stuff going on uh, in the world, in particular the United States, although it's it's hot in many other areas too. And Dave, by any chance... Are you following what's going on in Qatar there in the Persian Gulf? A, a little bit. A, a little bit. I know there's a uh, – they're trying to isolate Qatar. Um, I haven't followed it too much. Um, I think uh, they're associating Qatar with supporting terrorism, and they're trying to isolate them, you know? Yes. Now, here's the thing. I I should have sent you this article – it was way too detailed that I was interested in, but if I find it, I'll send it to you. And all these banks are intertwined. 
all these big Persian Gulf banks are intertwined. Now, apparently, Qatar had banks in it like Hong Kong. You know what I mean, Dave? Yep. Uh, the banks were way in disproportion to the size of the country and the power. In other words, Hong Kong, the main thing in Hong Kong is banking, period. Well, Qatar was the same way. And uh, the countries in the the Persian Gulf, maybe throughout the world, were just pouring all sorts of money into the Qatar banks. Now, they're talking about, is it the United Arab Emirates is talking about pulling out $220 billion out of the Qatar banks? I should have say I should have sent you the article, Dave. Um, yeah, that I didn't see. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, they're really sweating it out now because um, anything like that could put a run on the Qatar banks and collapse the, the Qatar banks. But not only the Qatar banks, but it could be a huge drain on Saudi Arabia, and that, that's why the United Arab Emirates wants to get its money out. It wants to be the first one out. Apparently, Turkey is heavily invested. And Turkey says it'll go to war if they do this to Qatar. I mean, this whole thing, uh, you know, folks, and I've said this probably many times, I follow the Middle East virtually every day. And following it is like trying to you know, live in a tornado because it is so confusing and chaotic and now, so here, last week we weren't talking about this at all. Now, Turkey is saying that Qatar is not a terrorist state, but Saudi Arabia is, all the other nations are, United States is, they're saying that Qatar financially backs um, Hamas, it financially backs ISIS, and I don't know, a whole, a whole bunch of other sordid things. And that uh, Turkey denies it. Oh, it backs. It, it's the big funding for Al, Al Jazeera, that uh, that like Al Qaeda news agency. Dave, you're familiar, familiar with right. it, Al, Al Jazeera? Yes, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. Sure. So Turkey is apparently uh, put a motion in the government to enable it to mobilize the army to attack to defend Qatar. Now, this is all since we spoke last Sunday, Dave. Pretty amazing. And on top of it all, we have the largest air base or military base in the Persian Gulf sitting there. Right, sure. So it's it's being classified as a terrorist state with us having, like, the command for the Persian Gulf right there in it. Turkey says it's going to go to war. I mean, and again, we talk, when we talked last Sunday, Dave, did we mention a word of this? No, it wasn't on the radar at all, John. No, so look what's happened in a week. But I don't know if this is bluffing and bravado. I, I don't know. I can only go by what I'm reading. But uh, what I'm reading is apparently the uh, – oh, I, and I also – there's something going on with Qatar. It probably is like – will take anybody's money, but apparently Iran has a lot of money invested in it, and they're blaming Qatar for being in bed with Iran and and, uh, propping up the Iranians financially. So they're Shiites, and then they're also propping up Hamas, which are Sunnis, and uh, 
I think ISIS, which is Sunnis, they're, they're, ISIS probably does its banking in Qatar. So it is a gigantic mess, folks. And I, I don't know how to fully straighten this out for you other than if money starts getting withdrawn, this has the, this has the possible for a huge domino effect. And when these dominoes start falling, you have no idea where they go because we have, we don't know what European banks are exposed in there. We don't know what American banks are exposed. We have no idea Chinese banks, Japanese banks. We have no idea. There could be countries where we don't even think of, like, I don't know, you know, Venezuela or Brazil. They could have money in there and get it wiped out, and that's the end. I mean, Venezuela would be, you know, I mean, a glass of water would cost you like a million dollars. So we have no idea where this could lead to if the Qatar banks collapse. It could be catastrophic. Something would have to happen. There's no doubt about it. But it would have to be catastrophic. It could be catastrophic for the world banking system. Dave, uh, any comment? Interesting, John. And it's not on the mainstream news at all. I uh, didn't see anything. I didn't see anything. I think I saw a little bit on the George Report, but not in detail like you just gave. I wish I could remember where I got it. it the, the, stu- the, the thing about the banking, I picked up, um, what do you want to call it? I picked it up kind of off, I, can't, I just can't think of the word. It wasn't like, it's not out there in huge, huge information, but it is there. It is there. The threat is there just to uh, strip the money out. But the other stuff about Turkey uh, declaring war on military base there, about them, you know, propping up Iran and Hamas. That's all there. That that's that's out there. So this could get really, really, really ugly, because like I say, it came out of no place. And you know, these things can flare up and go away. So I'm not going to say that this is definitely going to happen. Maybe it's kind of a bluff on the part of Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates to force uh, Qatar to do something they want them to do, you know, and if Qatar does it, then the pressure's let off. So that could be, too. You know, this could be just a, a big bluff to make Qatar do uh, what they want it to do. Yeah, go ahead, Dave. Yeah, John. Um, yeah, like I said, I didn't follow. I heard a little bit about it. The fact, you know, that we, you know, I knew that we have the, uh, the air base there and that we're using that in the Middle East and that uh, they were trying to isolate Qatar. But I didn't, uh, you know, see anything of all the detail that you gave. But uh, that doesn't sound very good, John. You know, like uh, anytime there's runs on the banks, uh, it destabilizes entire regions. And, you know, we talk about it quite a bit that in the 2008 financial crisis, you had um, uh, Benjamin, what was the name of that small bank? Uh, Bear Stearns and then Lehman Brothers. Bear Stearns was a little bank, went out, and then Lehman Brothers, there was a run on that bank. Um, And that created global financial chaos. Now, this is much, much more uh, complicated and would cause a bigger effect. But like you said, John, maybe they're just bluffing uh, or, uh, you know, maybe something can happen. We'll have to wait and see. Well, I found one of the articles. It says, Escalation in Gulf Deals Blow to Cutter Banks. This is from Bloomberg News. And it goes on to say, At risk are the foreign deposits, especially from the six-nation Gulf Cooperation Council that have helped sustain institutions like Qatar National Bank, 
the region's largest by assets and do- donor bank uh, lenders in Qatar and across the, I don't know what GCC means, Qatar, I don't know what it means, have already struggled with declining cash reserves and higher interest rates after government used bank deposits to maintain spending in recent years amid declining oil prices. Qatar, one of the world's richest countries and biggest producers of liquefied natural gas, is a global financial powerhouse with holdings in Barclays, Credit Suisse Group, Deutsche Bank, AG Still, I don't know what that, well, I I never heard of these things. Its domestic banking system relies heavily on foreign cash. Non-residents deposits made up 24% of the deposits in the country's 18 lenders in April, according to the central bank. That compares 1.2% in Saudi Arabia and 12% in the United Arab Emirates. Um... There you go, Dave. I will send this article to you to uh, for you to read. But this goes, you know, exactly what I was saying. But the other article was even better. Um, it went into even more detail than this. All right. Any anything else, Dave? You want to add? Um, yeah. No, that's uh, pretty amazing, John. Um, if they do start pulling the money out, like you said, it could destabilize the whole region. And then you mentioned some of those banks like Deutsche Bank. Deutsche Bank is in big trouble to begin with. Uh, the Germans are looking at uh, trying to rescue that. I think it's one of the biggest banks in Europe. Uh, Credit Suisse, uh, however you pronounce it, um, that's a big bank also. And, you know, to complicate things, just like in the last uh, week or 10 days um, in Italy, they had to bail out uh, the world's oldest bank. Um, it's a very long name, but it's been in business over 400 years and uh, it had credit problems, and they had to bail it out. And then just, I think it was over the weekend or Friday, um, one the fifth largest Spanish bank had to be rescued. So there's a lot of banking problems out there, John. And uh, we've been only talking about it for a few years, that there could be a uh, you know global economic crisis you know, with banking problems. You know, So uh, we're not surprised. Uh, it's just so strange that this should come out of no place now of course behind the scenes this may have been building for quite a while and then it erupts you know and to us we think um well gee this came out of no place so maybe it didn't you know it had been uh building uh, so i'm going to send this to you now dave this article sure Richard, i got another interesting little article a very short one um <sighs> It's about the the crisis in uh, Britain with the election that they uh-huh. had. Uh-huh. Yeah, just yeah, just a couple of paragraphs. The headline that says, "Don't bet on your your money on Britain's broken politics." It says the snap election on Thursday backfired badly on Prime Minister Theresa May, leaving no party with overall control in Parliament and making a mockery of her strong and stable campaign theme. But the voters didn't attach a message to the brick they chucked through the political window. The core result seems to be that Britain is ever more divided, making governing harder. With negotiations over Britain's exit from the European Union just about to start, the country has no mandate from voters for the difficult choices that have to be made. Investors can be forgiven for being confused, too. 
consider just three aspects of the results. Investing is all about decision-making under uncertainty, but the uncertainty runs much deeper than usual now. The discussion isn't about what Britain might wring out of its former EU partners at the negotiating table in Brussels, but what it will even ask for. If the Tories are to remain in power, they will have to rely on Northern Ireland's Democratic Unionist Party for votes, and they stood on a pledge to stay in the single market, something that Mrs. May ruled out. And this is very clear. Traders responded by dumping the pound. Now, John, I wasn't surprised when I read that because one of our articles in the last trumpet that we wrote in April 1980, front cover, World Faces Economic Collapse, and on page two, I'd encourage everybody to go to John's website and read the article we have on page two about the crisis in the British banking system and the collapse of the British pound. So it's just interesting to see that, John, because basically the value of currencies uh, is primarily based on the uh, confidence that people have in the government, you know, that they, uh, you know, know what they're doing. Well, right now, Britain is in chaos right now. Uh, headlines in the British newspapers, uh, one of them said, May Day. Well, it's Theresa May, and May Day means, hey, we're jumping overboard. So uh, I just found that interesting, John. Uh, while you were speaking, I was looking in the chat room, and Greg said that uh, uh, Bill and Hillary put $1.8 billion, I guess, of their money in the Qatar banks. Probably... <clears throat> probably the uh, cutter probably gave them a lot of that's probably the cutter money that they put back in it you know uh, I'm sure cutter paid them a lot of money no, there's no doubt about it now I'm going to pick on uh, Kathy here in the chat room because I don't know the sequence of thoughts here but it says uh, we have been wondering about your wild mind of its own hair I'm not sure what that means. But, uh, I wonder if she's talking about me and my hair because m my hair is uh, very, very um, curly. And it goes, if I don't keep it real short, which I don't like, it goes whatever way it wants. So it's, I wonder if she's commenting about how I'm going to look on YouTube with my, uh, my wild hair. So is that what you were talking about, Paul? About uh, Kathy. All right. Now, Dave, you've got no comment because you wish you had the hair at my problem. Well, the well problem John, I hair. was just going to compliment you on the fact that you do have hair. And uh, see, Willie and I are not bald. We're balding. It's actually just a process, okay? Um, it, it takes a little bit of time. But um, between the two of us, uh, we probably have one-third of a head of hair between the two of us. So you do the math. I think most of your hair there is on your eyebrows. I don't have bushy eyebrows, John. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, let's see. That's another thing now. The British banking system. Uh, I, I don't know. We've been talking about this for years, and I marvel at the way they can keep this thing going. Uh, so, But now there's another uh, bowling pin to juggle in this, and it's Cutter. Now, at the same time, they're having this problem with the British pound and then the Spanish banks, the Italian banks, um, whatever is going on in South America and all. Uh, there's a constant problem. They just downgraded the um, the Chinese banks. We just downgraded about a week or two ago, right? Yeah, I saw that, John, also. And yeah. China is in uh, 
they have a lot of debt. Uh, they've been building these uh, shadow, uh, you know, these uh, these cities, and they just they've been piling on debt. And it's uh, there's a big article in today's Wall Street Journal that all these little uh, projects cost billions and billions of dollars, and you know they're just building these things, infrastructure, and they don't have a way to pay for it. So uh, lots of debt, John. It's a debt bomb. Just tick, tick, tick. Now, Dave, can you explain to us why you would build a city maybe the size of Cleveland, uh, maybe some added up to like the size of Chicago, with nobody in them, with well, John, whole whole, infra- it, whole infrastructure? Yes, they have like railroads and interstates going in there, and stations and stores with nothing in it, people not living in it. I mean, what in the world is going on with China? Well, I guess they want to just try to keep everybody busy. They're kicking the can down the road. And uh, I don't know. Obviously, it's not such a wise decision. But uh, like I said, John, they're just piling on debt, and they're just trying to keep everybody busy, um, you know, so that they don't, uh, how can we say, you know, become unemployed, and then unemployment creates uh, political instability. instability. And, uh, you know, they have a shadow banking system, which is involved, too, that... uh, basically borrows the money from the regular banking system and then lends the money out at higher interest rates. And a lot of these loans are coming due now. And uh, like I said, it's just uh, a matter of time. People start defaulting. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, there must be other ways to use money than to build a city that not one person lives in. You know, we're not talking about a little a little village. We're talking about cities like the size of Cleveland. I, I think I think there's somewhere around four to six cities they built like this, and combined, they're the size of Chicago. So um, I, I, there must be other ways you could invest money rather than build cities that that no one no one lives in. I mean, it's just bizarre. It's bizarre. Okay. We're at the hour break, and the next hour, I want to talk about uh, North Korea. We want to talk about what's going on politically here because it's very, very interesting. And uh, we want to talk about the Middle East. Maybe we'll talk about Israel and the Middle East first. We'll talk about North Korea, and then we'll end up with uh, uh, politically here. So any particular song, Dave, that you'd like to hear? Well, do we have any, um, let's see, Jews for Jesus songs? Any nice uh, songs like that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Hang on here, just for you. Okay, this is Joshua Aaron and the Second Coming.
saying you'll come again Our conquering king on that day His sword will go forth to take back and restore what belongs What belongs to our To the ends of the earth Preparing the way of the Lord Reckoning the day When Israel will say Baruch Abba Hashem Adonai How was that, uh, Brother Dave? Very nice. Very spiritual, John. Very you know, nice. I, I think, Dave, as you get older, you really do begin to look like an Orthodox Jew. Well, especially when I put a yarmulke on. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I, and it's yeah. Funny. Yeah. It, it's funny. In my trunk, I have a, uh, if you've ever seen a traditional Hasidic uh, man with a fur hat on with the payos, I have one of those in my trunk. So I actually can put on a long black coat and put on this Hasidic hat. And, uh, you know, I have a little gray beard. And uh, I look like I belong in a uh, shul in the synagogue, Shabbat Shalom. <laughs> yeah, in Brooklyn. Crown eyes. Exactly. When, John, just a quick funny story. Yeah, but Willie, but Willie doesn't. But Willie doesn't. But you do. Exactly. Exactly. I'll tell you a quick funny story. Um I worked with Gary Krupp from Pave the Way Foundation for like the last 10 years. When I first started, he introduced me to Rabbi Abraham Shalom Kiss. And I showed Rabbi Kiss that I have a ketubim where my mother's first husband was Orthodox Jewish. My mother made an Orthodox uh, conversion to Orthodox Judaism. And uh, her first husband died. My mother married my dad, which was Christian. My mother, you know, uh, you know, became a Christian. To make a long story short, when he saw the Ketubim, he went on a rampage to convert me to Orthodox Judaism, and he brought me into uh, Williamsburg uh, to talk to rabbis. He brought me to matzah factories, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He brought me to Rabbi Schneerson's uh, gravesite, etc., etc. And I remember going to dinner at his house with uh, Esther, Abraham, Moshe. We had about uh, you know five or six Jewish people, um, you know, for. Uh, Shabbat dinner. So, uh, and then I got that hat because um, we celebrated. Um, what's the holiday where they dress up? Um, just trying to think. Purim, Purim, and uh, you know we went into the city with. It, it was just uh, an amazing experience, John. And uh, Rabbi Kiss um, 
when we talked about Isaiah 53, and uh, I just explained to him that I'm looking for the one that he rejects, the one that's despised and rejected. That's the one that I'm looking for, Rabbi. So uh, it was an interesting uh, experience. He's a real blessed man, but uh, not saved yet. Not saved yet, John. Huh. Okay. Um, but Willie doesn't. You do. You, you could fit the part, but not Willie. Well, I have that little beard, John, and I have a yarmulke in my trunk, so at any moment I could put on that yarmulke. Okay. All right. Let me play one more picture and then a uh, picture. Let me play one more song, and then we can uh, get back into the world events leading up to the rapture of the church, followed by the second coming of Jesus Christ.
want to say hello to Greg. Hello, Greg. Hello, uh, John and Dave. Uh, Greg, did you find out any anything? Yeah, Shalom. Anything about Clinton money in the Cutter bags? Well, this it wasn't a year ago, but it was October fifteenth of October, uh, two thousand sixteen, and they were reporting that Hillary and John Podesta met with J.P. Morgan, and uh, they transferred the money and from the Clinton Foundation into a Cutter bank, one point eight billion. And uh, Snopes says it isn't true, but other sources say it is. So I'm not really sure, but, um, you know, it was circulating then, so I don't really know for sure. Okay. Of course, I believed it because it was right in the middle of the campaign. And, I, you know, some articles say it's true. You know, they seem like... Reliable, of course they're going to deny it. But well, I believe anything about the Clintons. So what can I say? <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. they're they're so bad and corrupt that and any conspiracy you'd have to believe at first. All right, Dave, let's focus on um, on Jerusalem first. All right, and Israel. Sure. All right, what have you come up with during the week week that's going on now? Uh, uh, with Israel and Jerusalem? Well, the last thing that happened that uh, they talked about, obviously, not moving the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. And, you know, the Embassy Act was uh, instituted in 1995 by Congress. And every six months, each president has signed a waiver to prevent the embassy from being moved from, you know, Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. And uh, the Trump administration basically saying it's not uh, if the embassy is going to be moved, it's uh, when. And uh, I'm just trying to think what else. Um, they supposedly, I think they approved some more West Bank settlements, um, you know, obviously in the West Bank. Um, I'm just trying to think anything specific about Jerusalem. Um, that was the last I heard, John. Did you come up with anything? <coughs> yeah, uh, rather good. Um, what happened was, I think they're supposed to build 2,500 homes in uh, uh, the West Bank. Now, I don't know if it's all in Jerusalem or if it's in the areas also, but uh, uh, President Trump didn't say anything about it. And it's like the first time, and I don't know how long, that the sitting president never kind of told Israel this isn't good for peace. Trump is completely silent about it, which is very, very good. Um, the UN is already uh, to condemn Israel for uh, building homes in the West Bank. Uh, I think they're going to do it Monday or this week coming up. But the, always underground or under the radar is smoldering talk about war. Now, you know, uh, the last war that took place in Gaza, it came out of no place. I mean, all of a sudden, they're at war. Um, the uh, Hamas killed three Jewish uh, like teenagers walking home from school. I think, I think one or two of them were Americans. And uh, they killed them. Israel retaliated, and that started the last Gaza war. So, I mean, the war 
technically could start tomorrow, the way things are are over there. Um, Hamas has been completely refitted refitted with weapons. Now, I, for the life of me, Dave, I can't figure out how they do this. I mean, Hamas is cut off uh, from the sea. Israel has uh, ships there that you can't dock at, in uh, Gaza. Ships that are bringing supplies for Gaza have to dock in Jaffa. It is connected with uh, Egypt on the southern end there. So how do they get all these weapons, Dave, into Gaza? They say that it's they're fully stocked and ready to go again. Uh, Israel is understand, John. Yeah. I, Israel is finding these tunnels, and they're bombing them and flooding them. Uh, they they just found a big tunnel underneath. I think it was the UN headquarters in Gaza. <clears throat> it was just in the news where they found Israel's going ballistic over it because apparently the UN would have to cooperate with them to do it. So apparently they're ready to go. Uh, Hamas is ready to go at any time. The same with Hezbollah. Uh, Israel is playing war games in the north. They just had a a snap drill where uh, they went into full battle mode, uh, no like war game planned ahead of time. This was like instantly um, a war game to get ready for war with Hezbollah. Hezbollah says they're going to take the war to Israel this time that they plan on uh, attacking Israel. Um, uh, Israel says it's going to be short and brutal. That's Israel's description of the war, that apparently Israel has tremendous intelligence and they they know the uh, all the targets of Hezbollah there throughout Lebanon. And they all have them GPSed in and they just unleash artillery and missiles, guided missiles and, and all of that at these GPS positions to knock them out. There's probably thousands of them, so it would take a while, but... And then uh, apparently Israel attacked, um, there was a Hezbollah meeting in the Golan Heights. Uh, and a missile came out of no place and landed in the meeting and killed a whole bunch of uh, Hezbollah officers. That happened this week. It hasn't got much, much attention outside of like the Middle East. Uh, th- this attack was in Syria. So anytime Hezbollah seems to stick its head out of uh, the Lebanon border and comes to the southern border, uh, they're attacked by Israel. Convoys are blown up. Missiles are sent in. This missile came out of no place. Of course, Israel sent it, but no one's taking credit for it. Um, you know, the thing is a boiling cauldron in uh, in Syria. So who knows? I mean, uh, Iran wants to get its army there in the worst way and Israel says it's a trigger it's a red line Israel will not allow the Iranian army so things are bogged down in Iraq um, <clears throat> you keep on hearing things about Mosul is going to fall and this city is going to fall and the uh, ISIS fighters are fleeing and you know I mean week after week after week goes by and ISIS is still there <clears throat> they're not controlling as much as they used to but um, their the way is blocked. Uh, Iran can't 
just uh, come through Iraq into Syria because uh, Hezbollah has the way blocked. Not Hezbollah, um, um, ISIS has the way blocked. So that's still going on there. And now I told you there was this talk from Turkey about defending Qatar and Saudi Arabia saying we're going to attack Qatar and United Arab Emirates saying we're going to attack Qatar. So this is a whole new phase in this boiling cauldron already uh, taking place in the Middle East. But the bottom line, oh, and and always it's Jerusalem. Hamas wants Jerusalem. Hezbollah wants Jerusalem. ISIS wants Jerusalem. Iran wants Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Uh, Dave, what's Jerusalem worth? According to uh, the website, everything and nothing, John. Right. Depends upon, if you look at it and naturalize, it's worth nothing. If you look at it with spiritual eyes, it's worth everything. Dave, uh, excuse me, Greg, uh, do you have any uh, take on what's going on in the Middle East? Well, I remember 50 years ago, it looked pretty bleak, but Israel got the stunning victory and uh, got the Temple Mount area back. Yeah, that was June 5th, uh, 1967. I was in college at the time. I was in a local community college, and kind of everybody was talking about it. It was big time on the news, and Egypt, in the end of May, had closed um, the Gulf of Aqaba to Israeli shipping. Now, the Gulf of Aqaba is the neck of water that protrudes from the Red Sea to the very southern tip of Israel. And Israel has a port there. It's called Alat. And uh, that uh, was very important to Israeli shipping, um, the the port at Alat. And uh, Egypt closed it. That is an act of war. There's a legal term for it. It's got a nice, I have to look that up. It's got a nice ring to it. It's called Belicost, Belicost something. But anyways, if, if, you, if there's international shipping and one country closes it to another country, like Egypt closed it to uh, Israel, that is a cause, Belicost, something like that. Uh, it is uh, rules for war. So technically... When Egypt did that at the very end of May, that was war. And then they told all the uh, UN observers to get out of the Sinai and get out of the Golan Heights. And then Egypt brought its, uh, I, I don't know if it's entire army, but the, atomi, the army to attack Israel, it brought it across uh, the Suez Canal through the Sinai. So we were, the news was following this, and it was a big deal. And I went to bed that night on June 4th, uh, anticipating getting up in the morning, war. Because that's everybody, all the news was talking about it, war, war. The the Egyptian army is in its columns of tanks and armor and is all heading towards Israel. The Syrian army is uh, the same way. It's mobilized. It's heading from Damascus towards Israel. So I, I, um, I got up in the morning, and I, if, if my memory serves me correct, I think it was a Saturday. I'm going to have to look that up. 
because for some reason in my because I remember it vividly. And uh, my grandmother asked me to go to the store for her. I didn't turn the news on or the TV or anything. In fact, I tell you the truth, I forgot about it. I woke up and I forgot about it. And I was in the car and I pulled right up in front of the uh, store. And uh, I happened to turn the radio on as I was pulling up. It's strange. I turned the radio on when I was about to get out of the car. But I turned it on and there it was. The... uh, Headlines, the announcer was all excited, and he said the Israeli Air Force has smashed the sneak attack or surprise attack uh, uh, in the morning. They have annihilated the uh, Egyptian and Syrian air forces. Uh, the They're heavily pounding the um, Syrian army in the Sinai. Uh, this is a great, uh, you know, great upset. I was like shocked. I just sat there listening in the car, listening to the whole thing. I didn't even go into the store to go shopping for my grandmother. I just sat there listening to it, vividly remember it, vividly. Uh, it stunned the world because people were wondering how Israel is going to survive. They were talking about like hand-to-hand combat in all the Israeli cities. You know, will Israel be able to absorb these casualties and, you know, the entire Egyptian and Syrian and Jordanian armies? They were talking about Iraq sending uh, a column of uh, tanks and all to support. So, yeah, that was uh, 50 years ago. Well, it was June 5th, 1987. So today is the, well, well I guess the war would be just coming to an end now. We'll be just coming to an end today. Dave, what's your recollection? Well, John, I was um, only 12 years old. I don't remember exactly when it happened, but exactly like you said, John, it's 50 years, like Greg said. And uh, it's pretty amazing, John, that uh, Israel beat all these Arab countries. Uh, They made a preemptive strike. I think it took them about four hours to wipe out the Egyptian Air Force, and then they had air superiority. And, uh, you know, not only did the... uh, you know, these countries, uh, you know, obviously threatened to destroy Israel. You know, they massed their armies. They cr- closed that, uh, you know, the Gulf of Aqaba. They made it very clear they wanted to annihilate uh, the Jews. And uh, it just shows you God was on their side. Uh, and obviously they captured Jerusalem. And it was interesting. I read a little article about Moshe Dayan when they went up to the Wailing Wall. An Israeli soldier um, started, he flew an Israeli flag on top of the Dome of the Rock. And Moshe Dayan told him to take it down because he said that would set the whole Mideast on fire. So uh, they seceded the uh, the Temple Mount and the uh, Dome of the Rock to the Arabs to try to, you know, calm things down. But it's amazing, John, that it's 50 years ago. Um, but we know it's a fulfillment of prophecy, and it's happening right, right before our eyes. Now, all these other things are, you know, how can we say, converging you know, this year. So uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens. Well, I'm looking at a calendar here from 1967, and uh, June 4th was a Sunday. So it was a weekend that I remember that, and then June 5th was a Monday. So the attack began on a Monday. I knew a weekend was involved in it because I went to bed on the 4th, and um, I don't know why, because I did work. Somehow on the 5th, maybe it was early in the morning, she wanted something. My grandmother, I remember sending me out. And there I turned the radio on. And, you know, hey, Dave, do you know where the uh, Ronkonkoma Railroad Station is? 
Yes, John, sure. Yeah, that's where it was. There was a strip mall right, right. across. There was a deli there that that made real good cold cuts in that. They had real, she sent me for <clears throat> some bagels and some other things, and there I was. I just sat there right in front of it. Uh, listening to the reports coming in, and that was uh, June fifth, nineteen sixty-seven. So fifty years ago, the fiftieth anniversary. Now it was fifty years from the uh, first Zionist Congress in Switzerland. It was in August of um, uh, eighteen ninety-seven. Almost fifty years to the day later. In November of uh, 1947, the UN legally declared uh, the State of Israel. Now, it took six months for it to be set up and the British Army to withdraw uh, from what then was called Palestine. But 50 years to the day, almost. And now 50 years to, we're 50 years to the day about Jerusalem. And Jerusalem has never stopped being a hotspot, has it, Dave? No, not at all, John. And uh, it's going to continue to be a hotspot, and I think it's going to intensify the controversy. Yeah, Greg, um, you're an old man. What were you doing in uh, June uh, 5th of uh, 1967? I was, um, um, since Dave and Willie and I all have the same birthday, but I'm four years older than them. I was working in a refreshment stand on a boat tour in this canyon, um, staying with my aunt and my grandparents were in town. And um, I remember the Montreal World's Fair was uh, going at the time. And uh, I remember that was all over the news and it was very exciting to watch it. So I was 15, I guess. Just ready to turn sixteen, pretty pretty soon. But I still kind of remember it like yesterday. Okay. I again myself, I still remember like it was yesterday. And we have Jamil with us now. Hello, Pastor Jamil. Hello, my brother. Shalom. Good morning. Yes. Good morning. Well, good night here. <laughs> so. <laughs> but anyways, um, we're glad you're here. We're reminiscing on the 50th anniversary of um, Jerusalem being unified. Wow, praise the Lord. And uh, the old-timers like myself and uh, Dave and Greg, uh, we remember it vividly, what had happened. So we were just sharing the uh, the events. But of course, you weren't born yet when that happened. Yeah, you are. So, are you back home? Yes, I'm home now. Okay. Is there a bird in the background? Actually, uh, on the roof, uh, there is a there is a fan. Because it sounds like you have a parakeet or a canary in the background. Yes, is uh, in my home. Uh, I have a two pairs. Oh, okay. All right. Well, let's switch gears now and let's talk about um, uh, North Korea. Um, North Korea is still. It's gotten kind of a little bit quiet now. 
uh, but they're still full speed ahead with their missile system. They haven't fired any nuclear weapons in I don't know how long, but in a while, where they're continually firing missiles. Now, the missiles that they just fired recently were apparently, um, I don't know if they were cruise missiles, but they were designed to attack aircraft carriers. And they apparently were fired into the location where uh, one of our aircraft carriers was the week before. Uh, Again, uh, at some point, um, their goal is to fire an intercontinental ballistic missile with a nuclear warhead on top of it and uh, to drop it somewhere in the United States. Now, of all places... I was reading that the probably the number one target would be Seattle uh, because of the size of the city and there is a naval base there and there's a lot of industry like uh, Microsoft and that are headquartered there. Uh, I think Boeing, I don't know if Boeing still is, but it used to be there and it's also the closest because you don't fire the missile directly from North Korea to Seattle, you fire it on a, I think, you know, a northern, a northern course, and then you bring it around. That that's the shortest way because of the curvature of the Earth. So that's what they're working on, and at some point, um, it's uh, it's gonna. I don't know. It's gonna trigger a reaction. Uh, they're also talking about what it could do if they fired a nuclear weapon over Seoul, South Korea, um, the amount of death, or if they fired an EMP over South Korea, what it would do. I mean, there's a lot of things at stake here. And, of course, this guy's a madman. And um, the whole country is, like, for war. I mean, the entire country revolves around war and they never let up it's been this way since the country was founded after world war ii a big mistake uh, set up by uh, roosevelt dividing uh, when the russians came into the war they divided uh, north korea and south korea and that's how this the russians at the very end there was only like about a week left just at the same time we dropped the nuclear bomb on uh, hiroshima and Nagasaki, that's when the Russians declared war on Japan. Now, they agreed to do that. Um, they met with, um, Stalin met with uh, Roosevelt at the Yalta conference in February of 1945. And one of the deals was as soon as the European conflict was over, that the Russians would help us uh, with Japan because the Russian, the Japanese had about a million man army in China and then they had another million man army on the mainland. So, uh, China was far from, excuse me, Japan was far from being defeated. So Roosevelt wanted Stalin to take care of the Japanese army in China. Uh, and then we would take care of the Japanese army on the mainland. Well, of course, Japan surrendered, but Russia was only in the war about a week before the Japanese surrendered. 
And uh, what they did was after the war, then they divided Korea into North Korea and South Korea. That's how it, that's how it happened. But from day one, uh, the Russians armed the North Koreans and turned them into a, a war machine, which hasn't ended to this day. It's like 70 years, like North Korea is 70 years old and they have never slowed down with their war machine, not for a minute. So that's where this is heading. Um, Japan's preparing for war. South Korea's preparing for war. We are. Uh, I don't trust China in this for one minute. China's got everything to gain and nothing to lose. In a real bloody war with North Korea, every plane of ours that is shot down or tank that's blown up or people killed, ships uh, damaged and all, that's a victory for China. I don't believe a word China says that China, uh, North Korea is a surrogate of China and at any time China could have uh, cut off uh, all the supplies and crushed North Korea, but they didn't. So uh, this is heading for war. It'll be a huge war in the in Asia, and you're going to see China involved. I don't know about Russia. I mean, Russia is right there. Uh, North Korea, South Korea, Japan, us. It may go as far as uh, Australia. Australia may join because Australia has a lot to lose in this if China wins. Um, Vietnam, possibly, because uh, Vietnam is really upset with China, possibly the Philippines, possibly India. India is really concerned about Chinese aggression. So this could be a big regional war in uh, in Asia that's coming up. It could ignite it with North Korea, and it could end up in a big, huge regional war. Greg, any comments on this? The Chinese really hate Japanese. Uh, the uh, Chinese were, uh, during World War II, the Japanese uh, camps were they experimented on the uh, Chinese. Even to this day, I remember working at the Mirage Hotel in Las Vegas. The Chinese would not eat anything that was uh, prepared in a kitchen where Japanese had anything to do with it. They could not, uh, you know, it's just uh, there's an extreme hatred for the Japanese to this day. Uh, and what is really, um, people don't understand this. Uh, we, we always, we hear about um, the Nazi racism, how the uh, they had this, um, Nazism was this Aryan cult of belief. I mean, it's bizarre. It's the, the Nazi beliefs were absolutely bizarre. It was made up fantasy. It's like the hard left today in America. They live in fantasy. Well, that's the way the Nazis were. And they, but people don't realize that Nazis paled in comparison to the Japanese. The Japanese were, uh, like, like if the Nazis, for example, if you were British, they would accept you. If you were Irish, they would accept you. If you were Italian, Spanish, they would accept you. Um, the, the reason they didn't like the Poles, and they said such derogatory things about the Polish and the Hungarians and that, 
Well, maybe the Hungarian was they had uh, Asiatic. They were mixed with uh, uh, Asiatic through the Mongols, the Mongol horde. And uh, the Russians, Slavics, they viewed them as inferior because they weren't pure Aryans. But if you were pure Aryan, uh, like a Greek, you didn't have to necessarily be blonde. Uh, the Greeks, uh, maybe the uh, uh, there in the Bal- Balkans, Italy, and all Scandinavian, but the Chinese, uh, but the Japanese. I mean, only the Japanese. Everybody else was inferior. They would not accept uh, other Asians. The Chinese were just as uh, scum to the Japanese as the as we would be the Caucasians. They didn't make any distinction. The only pure people were the Japanese. The Koreans, it didn't matter. And they, the Japanese followed what was called the Bushito Code. And that was the samurai. So it was a disgrace to surrender. And that's why one of the reasons why they were so cruel to prisoners, because they believed that you should fight to death, you should never surrender, you should commit suicide before you surrender. And that's why they were so um, <clears throat> cruel to any prisoners. But they didn't take many prisoners. They just assumed rather kill everybody. Um, they treated everybody, whether you were Asian or not, with disdain. And, uh, you know, of course, there was raping the women. That goes along with it. So, yeah, they were brutal to the Chinese. They were brutal to the North Koreans. I mean, to the Koreans, not only to North Koreans. Uh, they were brutal to the Filipinos when they took over the, the Philippines. I mean, wherever the Japanese went, and that was racial. And Japan had never really lost a war in a thousand years. So they had, and the word kamikaze is called divine wind. And the uh, China was going to invade Japan, I don't know, like a thousand years ago. And they built this huge armada. And I don't know exactly how many were in this uh, in this Navy attacking Japan, but I heard, you know, the, the Chinese claimed like a million man army. Who knows? It was, But anyways, as the ships were coming across the Sea of Japan there to attack a, like, monsoon hit and destroyed it. And the, Jap- the Chinese, excuse me, the Japanese referred to it as the kamikaze, the divine wind. So that's where they got the name Kamikaze during the uh, World War II when they sent their suicide uh, pilots to attack the Navy or fleet. It comes from the wind that defeated the, uh, the, the Chinese like a thousand years ago. But it's not good where we're heading for North Korea. It's uh, The day is coming when... We either allow them to have a nuclear weapon and missile that can reach us, or we have to move to stop them. And moving to stop them means Seoul, North Korea, South Korea is sitting right there. It's got like a, it's one of the biggest metropolises in the world. I, I don't know. I'm going to say roughly 30 million, 25 to 30 million. And the, the casualties there could be, I mean, astronomical, astronomical. Dave, anything about uh, North Korea? Well, John, it's funny you mentioned that. Um, 
before the show, there was a uh, pretty in-depth news program about North Korea, and they brought you on location, and they were interviewing a uh, South Korean gentleman. You were touring all the sites to DMZ, and uh, the one thing they pointed out that uh, North Korea has about 10,000 artillery pieces pointed at Seoul, Korea, which is, I think, about 20 miles away. So... uh, and they interviewed also one of the U.S. generals and basically said it's quite a flashpoint. And they brought you into one of the uh, command uh, computer command cent- uh, centers where they monitor all the air traffic and missile tests. And they were on a hair trigger, John, like a hair trigger. Anything could happen at any moment. And it's sad to say that North Koreans have been preparing for this war. Like you said, it was it's almost uh, 60 to 70 years now they've been preparing. And... Uh, you know, the uh, the leader, Kim Jong-un, is a madman. You know, like, uh, you read some of the things that he's done to his uh, relatives that are in the, uh, the military, um, all sorts of crazy things. So, uh, part of what's going to be happening, John, sad to say, I wouldn't want to live in Seoul, Korea, South Korea. Well, the entire city is a bomb shelter. They have, right. uh, <clears throat> a couple times a year, they do air raid tests. And the air raid sirens go on, and the people run for basements. They run for, like, I guess they have underground subways or bomb shelters. So within, like, five minutes, the streets can be cleared in um, in Seoul, South Korea. But that's not to say with all these missiles and bombs landing that you're going to still have a tremendous amount of people injured and killed. But uh, the, the way it works, Dave, is apparently... Our military has identified every spot, hidden bunker in North Korea on the demilitarized zone there or on the other side of the demilitarized zone. And there's roughly 15,000 positions where they can shoot long-range artillery or rockets. And we have every one of them marked out with a GPS setting. So the artillery and our missile launchers and our bombers, they're all locked in with GPS. But the problem is it could take, you know, a week to take them out. Uh, There's 15,000 of them. And not everyone is going to be a direct hit and all of that. So there's about a five-day window there or seven-day window where North Korea can just do horrific damage to the South. And then, of course, they have over a million-man army, and with sheer, they have thousands of tanks. They're, they're obsolete. Everything they have is obsolete, uh, but there's so many of them that it could take you know, weeks to bring this under control. Not to say, you know, they can be effective too. I mean, they can be effective and inflict some tremendous damages the other way. So it's not good, Dave. It's not good. My, my, I think also my thought with that man. is is even so. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Um, in uh, Isaiah chapter two, go ahead, Dave. What were you going to say? Yeah. Um, the uh, the situation, you know, it gets more complicated. We talk about it all the time on the show that the Iranians are also um, involved with the North Korean nuclear program. So that that makes it even more complicated, John. Yeah, because whatever uh, North Korea has, there's a very good chance that Iran may have. Exactly. Now, here's the verse for this. 
Isaiah 2, uh, well, let's read 2, 3, and 4. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations, and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. So, unfortunately, it's going to take the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to do that before um, his time, before his coming, the wars will just get more and more intense until there almost would be no one left on earth uh, if the Lord didn't intercede. Yeah, Greg? Yeah, definitely. Exciting times. Um, all right, I think we covered everything with North Korea now, and uh, let's take a look in uh, what's going on in the United States. Now, I wasn't going to watch uh, Comey's testimony, but um, it was all over the Internet. So I started to watch it, and I got hooked, and I ended up watching the whole thing. And um, what what a debacle, what a mess this is. Uh, the, the whole intelligence agencies are, um, it, it's like a coup. It's, this is, they will not accept Donald Trump as president. They won't. And it has nothing to do about his personality. It's his agenda. Uh, I, I, when I was an agent, um, because of my position, I would go to what we call the national office quite a bit. Uh, I was in a big government center, and they wanted me to keep on sort of the cutting edge of um, computers, which was a joke. I mean, I could use computers, but I can't, you know, technically forget it. But anyways, they would send me there. And there was always something different about what we call the national office and the people there. They were all, they were, now I'm talking about back in the late 70s through the 80s. Um, into the well, uh, till the mid '80s. Uh, after the mid '80s, I didn't really go down to Washington, only for tra- uh, general training. But there was something different about them down there. They were always hardcore kind of liberals. It just came across. Uh, they were treacherous. Uh, no one in the field liked them. No one. I mean. <laughs> If you went to the national office, if you got promoted and went to the national office, we thought there was something wrong with you. It was like a whole separate mentality than the field agents. I couldn't, I hated to go down there and I couldn't wait to get away from them. So it's 10 times worse now. Uh, it's, a, it's its own like entity. It's its own government down there now. They're so big and they're so powerful. They don't listen to anyone. The IRS did whatever it wanted to do. EPA does whatever it wants to do. The spying, the NSA, they spy on whoever they want. The FBI, I mean, it's a joke. All these things that happened, the FBI went along with everything. The Justice Department, 
So uh, President Trump is literally swimming in there with barracudas and sharks, <clears throat> and I don't think they're gonna they're gonna give up. Uh, they're gonna they're gonna try to bring him down. Now the Lord has, I believe, called him because that was our prayer. Our prayer is uh, that if the Lord still needed the United States to have Israel's back, uh, that the Lord would elect Trump. And he is president, and I'd like to see him a little stronger against Abbas, um, but he's he's a thousand percent better than Obama and a hundred percent better than George Bush. So I can't complain about what he's doing for Israel, except we want him to stop this nonsense about a peace deal, because it's just not going to happen. It's not. Um, but... Uh, he survived now. It shows that he's not under investigation for anything during the election. Now they're going to go for obstruction of justice. But um, uh, he, he's like, uh, they can't get him. No matter what they try, they can't get him. So the Lord has put a, a shield around them. He's put a protection around them. Greg, what do you think? Uh, call me sat on Larry Clayman's uh, 60 million pages of uh, whistleblower Dennis Montgomery's um, hard drives that he uh, supplied, according to Judge uh, Leon's uh, court case that Larry Kleinman won, it went to the FBI. Comey sat on it for a couple of years at least, and uh, they were spying on all the Supreme Court members. They were spying on anybody of any uh, kind of note. I mean, you know the whole thing. You wrote the brochure on it, what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, the 666 surveillance system. Yeah. So uh, if this came out, can you imagine what a stir this would be? I mean, if they actually made all that public. Yeah, it's like they're. It's like a dam. They're trying to hold uh, everything back. You know, it's like. So maybe with Sessions in there and. uh, Trump, they can start loosening things up. I mean, where does Sessions begin? First of all, he's got a clean house in the Justice Department because they're all Hillary holdovers, you know, and Obama holdovers. So um, we need prayer. We need to pray about this because it's the integrity of the nation. These are ruthless, ruthless people in power, ruthless. And Trump's not afraid of them. I mean, uh, he's a fighter. You can see it. His agenda's going on. Um, so I think the the stronger he gets and the more that they can't defeat him, the angrier and angrier and angrier they're getting. They're not um, they're not going away. And I think that this summer it's possible that this could turn to violence. Uh, being fed really from Washington and Soros. But these uh, groups out there that are professional agitators, um, and I could see being fed by uh, the media that this could really start getting out of hand now. By the way, so uh, it's not good, folks. It's good in one sense. And I thank the Lord every day that we don't have Hillary Clinton for president where we would be every day. 
it's like we bought time. It's like the Lord gave us grace time. But at some point, the time is, is going to run out, and these people, they believe anything now, anything. If you don't believe exactly like him, like them, if you don't have the hard left agenda, you're a racist, you're a homophobe, uh, an Islamophobe, um, you're against foreigners, the whole bit. If you don't believe exactly like they do, and they're so angry that you could see that boiling over now to really trouble, really, really big trouble, uh, uh, Greg, it's out there. Can you sense it? Yes. Um, even the states, like you mentioned on that one of your uh, posts, there's six states that are have a confederacy now to um, support the Paris Accords. Yes. It's um, um, California, Washington, New York, um, Massachusetts, I think Virginia, and there's one other, uh, and they're all Democratic. They're all uh, Democrat governors, and all eleven states um, that rebelled uh, to start the Civil War in eighteen. Actually, they started to um, South Carolina seceded in uh, December of uh, eighteen sixty, but all eleven states were uh, Democrat governors, every single one of them, Democrat legislators. Um, so now we've got the same thing. Washington, Democrat governor. California California is insane. I mean, they, they actually think they're forming another nation. And it mightn't be a bad thing, the state of that country, that state now, maybe they should leave. But they, they're setting up their own immigration policy. And they're setting up their they, – they want to work a treaty out with the Paris Accords uh, so that California is going to have like a treaty with a foreign country. Well, what, do you, what do you make of this? I mean they are – this is exactly the way we're heading down the same path as the first um, uh, civil war. The, the civil war – when Abraham Lincoln was elected, not one southern state voted for him, voted for him, and they said, "Well, you're not our president. You know, we don't believe what you stand for." And of course, the issue was uh, they call it states' rights, but the main issue was slavery. And out they went, and that's what we're having now. We're having a slow motion, like um, a confederation of states being formed because all of those states along with uh, California, all setting up their, their, their sanctuary states. They're setting up their own um, immigration policy separate from the federal government. So we have nothing in common with California. What will happen is they will collapse of their own corruption. Uh, California just passed a, a, war, a law where they're going to have uh, health insurance for everybody. And there's no way in the world that they can pay for it. There's no way. It's impossible to pay for it. So they're talking about raising gasoline tax and raising this. So if you're an illegal immigrant, you just go out to California and you're getting complete total, total free health care, but the state can't pay for it. So they'll collapse. The hard left mind, which I call it, the reprobate mind, uh, only can destroy. It can't build. 
so we we our ancestors built this um, great nation in America, and brick by brick, the hard left reprobate mind is pulling it down. You know, brick by brick, they and the more they destroy, the more joy that they 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 get in them. They're happier. They're they're fulfilled. So the worse they make something, the better they they think it is. Have you noticed that, Dave? Greg, have you noticed that? That all they know how to do is destroy. Well, that's what they, their aim is to destroy a unified America because uh, it's impossible for the Antichrist to set up his domain with a unified America. Too, well, we're too well, powerful. Yeah, I understand that and you understand that, but the average hard leftist out there doesn't. Their thing is just no, to destroy, destroy America. They're, they're walking in their own. Uh, you know, blindness. Evil spirit. But what are they going to replace the country with? What are you going to replace it with, Dave? Oh, excuse me, Greg. Shira Law? How about the French uh, Revolution? Well, how about the French they don't Revolution? Care what they replace it with as long as they knock us out of contention uh, because we're a holdback from them setting up international. Uh, no, no, no. I'm not talking uh, about that. Greg, the upper echelons, yes. I'm talking about the average college student out there that's rioting and wants to destroy the country. What are they going to replace it with? They don't, they don't care. They have no idea. They just hate America so much they want to destroy it. And, of course, the upper echelon is using them as, um, as just puppets. Uh, Stalin, uh, Lenin called them useful idiots. But the ones in the streets, they have no idea other than destruction. You follow me? Yes, uh, I agree with you. It's, that's that's very true. Uh, it's it's like the Masons. The average Mason has no idea about the cabal that's up on top of the Masons. So the the Mason organizations a cover for the um, upper echelons and how they're connected, uh, and you name it, they're connected in it. Okay, uh, we are out of time. Oh, we yeah. we are out of time. And we are out of out of time. Okay. Well, God bless everybody. See you all tomorrow night. Thanks, Greg, for coming.